episode 74 coming at you. Utah in the weeds. This is the podcast about Utah cannabis and cannabis culture. And today I'm talking to Wesley Spridgen and Justin, Dr. Justin Chernowski. Uh, he is the head of research and development for a company called RadSource. Uh, RadSource is located in Georgia, and they have a low-intensity x-ray technology that they are using to decontaminate cannabis. And this is a very, very, like I'm, I'm geeking out in this conversation because it's about your flower that is grown and has contamination in it that we all know exists. Some of this is normal and natural, but remember when we inhale cannabis, we are not filtering it the same way as the gut does. And so that's why this is important to have, uh, to have good testing on your flour and to not buy flour on the black market because you don't know where it was grown. You don't know what chemicals they're putting on that stuff. And like if, if nothing else comes out of this, clean cannabis is really much, much better. Just know that in Utah, there has been testing done without microbial testing because there's a global shortage of these pipettes. There's this global shortage of these pipettes. And if we can't get the pipettes, we can't do the test. And so they've decided not to do some of the microbial testing. This has nothing to do, you know, commenters, I know this has nothing to do with any of the growers or processors here in Utah. This is a Department of Agriculture uh, thing. So just know that this is happening when you're listening to this um, podcast episode and this conversation about decontaminating that cannabis and those products. Maybe this would be a good idea for us, especially if there's going to be a global shortage and we are not going to test for microbials or some microbials. Anyway, that was long-winded housekeeping. Make sure you're uh, subscribed to the podcast on any podcast player that you listen to podcasts on. Uh, again, uh, go to utahmarijuana.org slash podcast. There's transcripts and articles and subscribe to Discover Marijuana on YouTube. I know that's a lot to remember, but if you want to get a hold of me, you want to be a guest on the show, you know, the requirement is, I guess, go to Discover Marijuana on YouTube, comment on one of those videos, ask away. We look at all of those. Enjoy this conversation with Wesley Spridgen and Justin Chernowski from RadSource. Learn a little bit about cannabis and uh, microbial decontamination today. Here we go. Yeah, I'm excited about this conversation because I think I'm interested to know if you guys think there's more microbial contamination in medical cannabis than people realize. Is it like one of those things where once you start looking for bed bugs, you start finding them everywhere? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's, I hate to say it, but the same environment that grows the best marijuana grows microbials. So they're there. I mean, it, even some of the more sterile customers that we've seen have problems, uh, you know, have an occasional breakout. And I think one of the things that we care about the most uh, is informing people on public health problems. And the, the thing that we like about our technology is that we're the best solution in the sense that it gets your 
microbial counts down so low, you don't have to worry anymore. Part of what I think Wes put on his topics of discussion is Secret Shopper program. I think that one is, uh, is huge that the states have started implementing that. The basically just random pickings off the shelf and retesting. And oftentimes, if you're just barely below the limits, when your product is going out, it will grow back by the time they come out and do the secret shopper. And so getting that as low as possible uh, without compromising the integrity of your products and all the medicinal qualities of the product uh, has to be paramount. And that's the nice thing about our technology is that's, that's what it does. Where are you guys located? So we're in Buford, Georgia. It's just north of Atlanta by uh, the largest man-made lake, I believe, Lake Lanier. The largest man-made lake? I don't know if that's true anymore, but I think at one time it was. Yeah, we have a large man-made lake here called uh, Lake Lanier, and we're right by that. Okay, so talk to me about RadSource Technologies. Like, what is RadSource Technologies? What do you guys do? Sure. So the company started in uh, 97. The goal of the company and the founder, Randy Kirk, he wanted to find a viable alternative to radioactive isotopes. Uh, With all the terrorism and stuff in the world, radioactive isotopes are kind of no longer becoming a viable option for decontamination and remediation with photons. Uh, Specifically, they create uh, what people refer to as gamma rays. Uh, It's just a very high energy photon. And so what he found was that you could get similar effect with x-ray. So just a little bit lower in energy on the spectrum, similar mechanism of action. But in unlike a radioactive isotope, you can turn it on and off like a light bulb. So we like to pride ourselves on being a very high power light bulb. Like what? a light bulb that'll shine through stuff. Yeah, right. So there's two two kind of things going on. So your photons are going in and they're you know hitting the stuff that you don't want. We started off in blood. That, so we're actually a medical device company for our blood irradiator. And we took those same principles and moved them into different verticals, right? So we've got blood where we take the white blood cells. So I can't just donate blood and give it to you. I have to get rid of the white blood cells because my white blood cells will look like an infection to your body. Mm-hmm. So we actually just destroy the white blood cells, but preserve the red blood cells. And that allows people with immunocompromised systems to get blood transplants without having to worry about graft versus host disease. Uh, so very awesome industry to start out in. We've also been involved in small animal uh, irradiation and cancer research. That's one of our other larger verticals. Uh, basically, any major cancer facility, cancer research facility has one of our units. Uh, we do sterile insect technique. That is uh, where you take the male insect, you sexually sterilize it, release it back into the population, and then it prevents uh, pest populations from getting too out of hand and destroying stuff. So this is like what they've done with mosquitoes. Exactly. So we're actually working with a group. We have an entomologist on staff who's working with a group working on that for Zika and yellow fever and stuff like that, malaria, things like that. So um, mosquito control is definitely one. Screw worm is one we've done in the past. I think we do some moths as well, uh, some pest moth control. We also do things like cell research. The coolest application I've heard for this one is there's a group that um, you know we work with. They take a, a gene sequence out and they edit it and they put it back into patients and cure things like colorblindness. 
So yeah, just like really cool stuff that people do with our machines. And whoa, yeah. And um, some of the newer things that we got into was uh, was cannabis, and spe- specifically, it started with medicinal cannabis. And the reason we got into that market was because. Uh, similar technology has been used. This high energy photon technology has been used in the Netherlands and uh, some other some other countries that are that have had legal cannabis for a while. They just use these large gamma facilities, and we thought, well, we can do the same thing that these gamma rays do, but we don't have to have the radioactivity. And that's actually the most important part of our technology is we can directly replace these radioactive isotopes. And, you know, people like the FBI love us. And there's also, you know, all these programs that are government sponsored, especially in the blood side, that um, a lot of these, a lot of our company and other x-ray companies participate in where, you know, they, the government will actually help research institutes and blood institutes replace their units um, with their gamma units. They'll take their uh, isotope sources out where they got to have the military come help and take them out and they replace them with our unit. And all of a sudden all that security goes away. So, because you don't, you, all you need to do is just register the x-ray tube as if it's a, a dental x-ray, very similar to what you do in the dentist. And that's it. You just because you can't, x-ray. you can't use your technology to build a bomb. Correct. Is nobody it, can steal, right. Nobody can steal our technology and spread it over half a block and kill millions of people. Yeah. That's, just oh, that's, that's cool. Yeah. So that's the philosophy behind RadSource. And that's why it was started. That's why our company exists. Uh, we've been very successful at it. We have the pioneering technology in x-ray. Uh, it really hasn't changed much since it was invented until our company came along. So we have a patented x-ray tube that we protect uh, very vigorously. And yeah, it's, it's been great. Awesome technology. With cannabis, how are you using that technology to help? Essentially, you're reducing bugs on the plant. Yeah, the microbes specifically. So what we do is, uh, you know, we ask things like aspergillus, fusarium, things like that, powdery mildew. Basically, the mechanism of action, to keep it simple, is you have these high-energy photons that go in and they interact with the DNA of the pathogen. And DNA is so critical to these single-celled organisms. Once it's destroyed, they basically self-destruct. And so we have created this technology where the wavelength is fine-tuned enough to leave all the stuff you care about, the cannabinoids, the terpenes, uh, the look, the actual physical look of the product, but specifically targets the microbes themselves. Now I will say as a whole, remediation techniques, because this is usually done on dry flour, there's no mechanical action to our to our product, right? And that's actually true of all remediation techniques. So if anybody tries to tell you, uh, you know, oh, we can actually physically remove things from the plant, that's not true. And actually, one of the benefits of our technology is the way it looks going in is the way it looks coming out. So if you have beautiful product that you've spent all this time trying to perfect, when it goes in, it will come out looking the exact same with all the, um, you know, the wonderful colors, the smells, all that stuff is preserved because it's not touched. Um, there's no tumbling action. There's no motion to our uh, mechanism as well. The photons are actually able to penetrate through packaging. And so we, you, you, once you have your product in its package, you can just put it in the machine, run it and take it out. 
doesn't have to be tumbled. It doesn't have to be opened and then resealed. It's all done just by the fact that the photons are so small, they can penetrate through pretty much everything and then hit the product or hit what you don't want in your product. I'm thinking about cannabis flower, but you're talking about yes. all types of products, really. So, so we've, but we've, primarily we're dealing with cannabis flower because you grow it, you test it. Ah, crap. It's got some microbial contamination. We're either going to have to throw it out or we're going to have to do something else with it, but we want to use it. Is that how you guys, when you guys come in? Yeah. So we, we're, our goal is to preserve the most valuable part of the grow, which is the flower, the whole flower, right? So I, exactly, you know, you, you go through your process, you harvest, you dry, post-harvest, you send it off to a lab, you find that your CFU count, your colony forming unit count is above whatever your state threshold is, typical state thresholds around 10,000 CFU. And you say, oh no, in some states, the regulations are so tough if you fail one time, you have to immediately send your product to extraction, which means you're getting pennies on the dollar. So what we recommend is to run your product through a remediation device like our, like our photon unit, and then you don't even have to worry about it. I think we have, and Wes can speak to this, we have numerous case studies that show essentially a 99.9% .9 passing. I don't even know. And uh, we'd have to check if our marketing team can confirm this, but I think we're at 99.99 now. So then you go through this process, you 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 go to trike all these people and you say, hey, if before you even send your flower for testing, right? why don't you run it through our system, right? blast it, and then you can essentially guarantee yourself passing. Yeah. And actually what's really nice about our product uh, and, and a disadvantage of the larger gamma systems that have been in place is we're actually fine tuning it to your specific product. There's no need to just do this one size fits all blast. It's actually a fine tuned uh, exposure that your product sees. And you essentially what you can do is run a few tests and say, hey, when do I get down to the microbial level that to me is acceptable? And we've seen microbial levels as low as the machine reading zero non-detectable, basically so low that it's below the threshold that the actual testing unit can, can, can register. And that's actually the most important part that we think our technology brings to the table because you can get to those levels without compromising any of the product's integrity. What we've seen is that any decrease is not only within the margin of error, but oftentimes is contributed to just the natural outgassing of the product itself. Um, there's very little contribution from acceleration from the actual process because we're a cold process. There's no heat, there's no chemicals, nothing. It's just uh, the photons taking their energy and distributing it into the pathogen. Uh, very nice. Uh, and now we actually have while we primarily focus on the products, we actually have had customers who use it on extraction as well. Uh, there was a customer with a salmonella outbreak who uses our units to clear their oils of salmonella. So, Okay, so let me back up here. Let me make sense of this. If I'm blasting it and, and I'm tailoring that energy that's hitting my flower or my oil or my product, and it is destroying the DNA and therefore, you know, destroying the life 
that exists in that fungus, the microbial, the pathogen, as you call it, right? And we're, we're leaving a little bit of residue. We're leaving that, we're leaving the building blocks behind. Is there any danger in leaving that stuff behind? Good question. That's, there's a lot of uh, research and debate on this topic in particular, and it's actually really not clear as to what people agree or disagree on. We have had people who uh, are, and you know, concerned customers and concerned uh, consumers, especially at shows, come up to all the remediation booths, whether you're talking uh, our technology or, or competitor technologies, and ask the same question because, like I mentioned there's no mechanical removal of anything, right? Right. So essentially what you're kind of leaving behind is is like the carcass of whatever this is. Some people have claimed that they have sensitivity to it, which we we completely understand. And some people have claimed there's no effect and we, and they don't feel anything. It's a very heated topic, very heated debate. One thing that we have going for uh, remediation as a whole is that it's especially x-ray and photon technologies is that it's used in food, it's used in blood, and it's used in all these other industries where there is a much higher risk and there's also consumption, right? Like you you can trust the technology that is used in the medical field for blood. If, If people are, you know, using this technology on blood and then that blood is then being put in, especially immunocompromised patients with high levels of success, so much so that now they're moving all blood essentially to this exposed um, technology. Mm-hmm. Well, I've worked in, I worked in trauma for years and GI mm-hmm. surgery for years. I mean, we'd call for blood and it would be a long time for the testing and all of these things. And if I didn't have the right type of blood and I didn't have a cross-matched unit of blood, I mean, I was you know, we were in trouble. If we had access to a, to a process that would make it a little safer right. for the patient, then you would have, I mean, there's no question, right? And right. at that point, you know, although I would say in a life or death situation, you're going to make decisions in medicine where you're going to choose a little bit of risk in order to protect the patient's life, right? And you're going to deal with the consequences later. I agree with you that using this process on blood does make it seem like it is something that is safe for consumption. When we talk about it on food, I'll push back a little bit and say, sure. well, the acid, the acidity of the stomach is so, it's so acidic. And we put, I mean, shoot, you could eat, I mean, kids eat dirt, right? They play in the gutter and then they lick their fingers and you know, most of them survive. That's an environment that's going to protect themselves on their own. Inhaling flour is to me probably less risky than treating the blood product. And so in that case, you're leaving over a little bit of byproduct, but this is microscopic. This is stuff that's in the environment anyway, likely, right? These building blocks of these things are are in the environment everywhere. Yeah, cells die every day and they're floating around in the air. So it's really no different than what you're breathing every day. And what's really nice about some of the studies we've done is we create no new products that show up on things like chromatograms. So we can run a chromatogram on the product prior to treatment and after treatment, and you see no new added peaks. <laughs> so that you, means that, you know, at least in you've terms hit of the, the nail. sensitivity of the machine, 
there's nothing yep. new being contributed to the uh, product. And now you bring up this, uh, you know, when we're talking about semi-synthetics in cannabis, and we're talking about processing CBD into Delta-8 and Delta-9 and leftover isomers. And this, we could go down this whole rabbit hole Absolutely. of all, ingesting all these products that people are pissed about. Even as and, simple as putting uh, terpenes back into products because, for instance, some of our competitor technologies wipe out all the terpene smell. So they have to artificially dope it back in order to get it to smell like anything. So and they're spraying, they're essentially spraying the flower with something. And I've heard a lot about this is yep. they're adding, sometimes they're adding THC to this stuff, right? They're essentially making moon rocks. Yeah, um, I've heard of quite a few cultivators. Can you can you guys hear me a little bit better? Ah, uh, Wes, you're on, you're on. So, I, Wes, I, I, so I Wesley Spriggen and you, Wes, this is perfect timing to bring you into the conversation and we'll just edit that trash can sound yeah, out uh, from before. Perfect. Yeah. So tell us what you do specifically, Wes, because you're located in Utah and you're, and you know, and, and if it's okay for me to say you're a Utah medical cannabis patient. That is correct. Yes. And I'm, I'm proud of that fact, to be quite honest. Uh, I'm, I'm proud to be part of a community where, you know, through the, the, hoops that had to be jumped through it's now provided as a viable option for patients and uh for me i have no problem whatsoever advocating and also admitting that i am a patient because of the fact that i mean people they glorify and glamorize you know benzos and other type of medication all day long you know it's uh, if you're having a hard time on a flight you know pop an ambient and that's it's okay and so i i for me I want to take this opportunity in this society to be able to actually advocate for the medicine that helps us that isn't quite to that level. So I really, yeah, I have no problem saying that. So I appreciate you bringing that up. In the Utah market, are you working here with Utah growers or are you mostly out of state? Both. So I do work, I live here in Utah. And so I do work with the local Utah market, obviously with uh, only eight cultivation licenses. It, it's a little bit uh, less quantity of individuals to work with compared to uh, Oklahoma with 6,000 right out of the gate. However, I do, I, I am working right now to basically perpetuate this, uh, this education for what we do and also what it can contribute to the patients because there are a lot of other markets that are quite frankly taking this a lot more seriously. And it has, uh, it has created different business models and also uh, just uh, different opportunities for the patients to have a little bit more transparency with the medicine they're receiving. Talk about that. Why is, why do, why would you say Utah is not necessarily taking this as serious as they should? I, I don't, I don't want to sit here and blame Utah. Um, I think that Utah is taking a, a very uh, reserved approach, you know, looking at other States and, and I can appreciate that definitely because we've seen what happens in some of the States like Washington, Oregon, where the wild West happens, you know, they, so many, efforts are, are put forth to cultivate and then they had to retract back on all the regulations because nobody could pass the testing and that that just hinders the medical community anybody any true patient that's not a, a good move for the patient great for recreational not great for medical and so for what what we're trying to do is basically i think utah i don't think that they are doing anything wrong per se i just think they're just so slow to implement some of the more stringent protocols that other states have done and with that being said, I think that uh, there's a couple things. Obviously, you're aware that they don't have requirements for terpene uh, listings quite yet here in Utah. 
working on that a little bit in the background with a couple of boards and medical advisory panels and things, but there's no requirement in Utah right now for terpene testing or terpene labeling of any products. Correct. And that's that I think that's a huge detriment to the the patient society, to the actual medical community. Because that's as we all know, that's where the medicine truly derives. And so I feel like if we can really uh, you know, start targeting some of those changes in the way that the state requires testing, not only just for the, the terpenes, but also for microbial, we're currently using a model that's based off of the federal pharmacopoeia uh, standards. And you know, I can understand why you know you would think, okay, the federal standards are should be bolstered enough. But let's be honest, the federal you know pharmacopoeia that 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 industry is slightly different than cannabis in the way that you produce it and consume it. And so I feel like when we have regulations for other earth-grown products, you know, with our teas and spices and things of that nature, um, from a federal standpoint, obviously with the FDA we can't do that currently because of the state of cannabis. But it just it's a little silly to implement a federal regulation on something that can't be federally regulated, you know, using that guideline. It would make more sense to take the, the states that have bolstered that regulation and uh, had implemented a little bit more of a strict guideline. Just because, again, when we come down to it at the end of the day, it, it's the patients that are impacted by this. Obviously, the businesses can be impacted by their what they are allowed to test and, and sell based on their failure rates, which is another thing we can get into. But uh, my biggest topic here is the fact that I want patients to have healthy product. Well, what is the federal guideline? You know, is that 10,000? Justin was talking about what is the level that's appropriately allowed? Is it a level? What does Utah use? So based off of the, the federal statute that, the, that Utah uses, there, it is 10,000. And then it is the absence of E. coli and salmonella. But they also break it down into uh, three categories. So they break it down into the actual consumable flour product, the concentrates, and then topicals. So for the uh, subdermal patches, things of that nature, or transdermal patches, excuse me, those those fall under a different guideline uh, under the pharmacology regulations. So um, as far as I, I know, it's this isn't necessarily unheard of in the industry. A lot mm-hmm. of states actually started with that because it was a good guideline to work with. However, it's the states that have done a little bit more testing. For, for example, there are, we have a couple of states where they have actually had uh, individuals go through with a secret shopper program to really hold the accountability because, as we all know, business is business and you know testing labs are our business. And so at the end of the day, there can be issues with the the bureaucracy of testing labs and with uh, different growers behind the scenes and what there's there's a company called uh, the Earl Cup uh, they they do a, uh, an actual cup in Arizona where they award brands and dispensaries for having quality medicinal product for the patients what they do is they go into the markets and they buy product and some some companies will willingly uh, submit this product to them for testing and they'll test it well after it was originally tested to make sure that nothing has grown uh, while it's been sitting on the shelf and also to make sure that for whatever reason if the testing results were skewed by anybody you know like you mentioned the little moon rock situation you know, I've had cultivators tell me, yeah, we, we, we have people that they'll take a bag and before they grab a, a, a you know, a couple of grams to test, they'll just dump a bunch of keef in it and shake it up. And now you have completely altered results for every part of the spectrum. If that's being done in the medical community, whether or not that happens recreational, that's a different argument. But for medical, that's a big problem. Yeah, that seems like patients, I mean, I want 
for my patients, I want them to go down and I want them to get the cleanest product possible, you know, that's, that's tested. And if they're going to use flour, because we're kind of on this and they're going to inhale something into the lung tissue and directly into the bloodstream, this is a big, like, this is a big deal. When I work in the, uh, the emergency department and we order these respiratory, these medications that are inhaled that way and atomized, I mean, we expect pure medication. We expect, and I just don't, I would never even consider that in the hospital, I would give or order a, a contaminated product, even to the level of whatever the, okay. you know, whatever that 10,000 units are. If I, like there's zero, right? Zero. Like I want albuterol with zero contamination. I want a nebulized medication with zero contamination. So as close as I can get to that, understanding that this is a grown product and that there might be, I guess, I mean, do we allow this? Do we allow any? Justin, do you think you should allow any contamination at all? Any of this? Is there a level that you think is safe? Yeah, that's why we're such obviously big advocates of this technology is it's the only technology that's going to get you to those near zero levels, too few to detect levels without altering the product. I mean, there's, there are no other, there are no other processes, remediation processes that are going to do that. And of course, you know, going back to your statement about, you know, people with sensitivities and or people with sensitivities, what's left over that kind of thing. Nobody ever advocates for growing dirty product, and this isn't an excuse to grow dirty product. We never yep. see it that way. What we do is we say, look, we understand that this is, like you said, Tim, a natural product it, that grows and is oftentimes outside or even in your you know, super fancy bazillion dollar clean room grow house, uh, stuff happens, right? But that shouldn't punish a company. We don't advocate for you to grow dirty stuff. We just say, hey, we're the answer if you can't get it to the levels that you need to. Okay. D- totally, totally understand that. And I would and I was gonna ask if you advocate for pre pre-treating all this product, but I, but apparently I would I mean, I would say if I was working for you, I would advocate for pre-treating everything. Might as well. Uh, well, we that's what we see it as an insurance policy, honestly. We really do. Absolutely. I mean, especially in states where the punishment is much greater than a lot of states. Some some states you get a couple tries to do your testing, but there are a few states where it's one strike and you have to send your product to extraction. And obviously those states, there's a lot more risk for them. However, you know, we get a lot of feedback even from testing labs that say you make our job easier because we know companies that use your product will pass their tests. No sure. questions asked. You can't set up this process in in one state and then ship all your product to that state and then treat it and then ship it back. Now, can you? You've got to have well, this. I'm pretty sure the federal every, government would have had something to say about shipping, you know, drugs across yeah, state shipping lines. Drugs, we'll see, yeah. but but you've got yeah, to set this up in every. Is there a scalability issue for you guys? Like, is this is this really expensive, or do each of the growers set up their own individual? Like, how does that? How do the logistics work? If I'm a grower. And I want to use the technology. That's a that's a great question. And honestly, the, one of the beautiful aspects of our technology, because it, it was designed to be vertically integrated into a business, um, it's created two different you know business models. You have the the vertically integrated company, whether they're a craft business that just you know buys a very small version of our machine to process just their own product, or if you have a, a bigger company like a, a multi-state operator 
which we work with quite a few. And then they can buy, you know, eight machines and throw them in a warehouse and process for their community. It just depends on the area. Some states don't allow you to transport. Um, but realistically, it's worked in favor in both directions for our company because we started out as just a single vertically integrated cabinet x-ray device manufacturer to begin with. And so it, it works very well that we have different sizes available for individuals for whatever their needs are. Are there companies that are doing better than others? I mean, I believe that there are, but I don't, I, I personally believe that Utah, the whether or not a company is successful currently or not, is not directly correlating to their failure rate of microbials as I'm sure they're witnessing that. That's not what it is right now. That will change though. As you are probably already aware, you, you know, you're, you're familiar with some of the, the cultivators here. Uh, they have some outdoor crops that are actually going to be coming viable very soon. And what we see in every state, and I, I'm not exaggerating here, on every state that we operate, any outdoor crop will fail. And it's not to, to any saying anything bad about the grower at all. It's just what it is. It's just exposed to the elements. And so it just it's, it's inherent with it, unfortunately. And that's another aspect of the business that this technology provides. Because if a business is looking at it from a patient perspective, of course, Yes, using our technology is going to provide that product and, and it's going to keep it healthy and, and something that they can truly be proud to provide to their patient. But if it's just business and they're talking about money, the other factor is this. You have cultivators right now that are about to have literally hundreds of pounds of cannabis ready for, for wholesale and process. And what we have seen in every state that we operate is that there comes a point in time where when the state, when the regulations uh, all of a sudden are highlighted for the, the company when they fail a test, they now have X amount of product that they can't do anything with. And when, you know, when I've been with cultivators that are sitting on 10,000 pounds of product that they can't sell, they can't do anything with, it is a major issue for their business, for their bottom line, aside from any of the patient aspect. Now, if they have an option to remediate something to where they can still pass that testing and it's not by cheating, it's actually eliminating what, what we're trying to do so that the, the end product is still a viable product for the patient. That's what we're trying to advocate for. And here in Utah, I definitely see that coming up soon because of what's going on. I definitely believe that the, the culture here in Utah, people, they really are passionate about what they do. And I don't think there's a single company that I've met personally that uh, seems to be just completely out for the money and trying to cut corners. So I, I definitely have to give them credit for that. I really want to make sure that's known. Yeah, I don't, I don't see, I would agree with that. I think that there isn't any companies in Utah who got licenses who are, you know, just out for the money. Of course, they all want to make money, you know, that, that fuels the fire so that we can expand and, and even grow better products and do better things. But you're absolutely right. I mean, I know, Quite a few companies right now are sitting on the last bit of their harvest, just about ready to, to process that and to go send it for testing. And it makes complete sense. This will come out, this podcast will release, and you know these guys will have flour in the testing facility with the Department of Agriculture. And it's like you say, it'll probably fail if they don't do anything about it first. Yeah. And that, it's unfortunate. And I, I don't wish that upon anybody by, by no means. So I wish that it's just, it's just what we see, I mean, you know, it's, it's very, very common. And it, it especially with the, the new States, you know, cause it's all, uh, you know, uh, 
economy of scale. You know, once you scale up, it, that's what happens. And, you know, that's where Utah is right now. Utah's trying to, the, the cultivators are trying to reach that 100,000 square foot each so that we can add more cultivation licenses. But it's, that will come with other hurdles and headaches. It's something that they'll be, they'll have to keep in mind. Is there something that goes on the packaging when you guys treat the product or when, when you guys are involved that says, hey, this is, you know, is there any labeling? I guess my question should be, is there any labeling for microbial testing or like microbial levels? In not, not, for, is, not for cannabis at all. Not for cannabis yet. Not that I'm aware of, unless Justin knows of another state that's implemented it. We, there's Rodura labels that are put on uh, meat and uh, other agricultural products that are that go through an uh, interradiation process. But that's uh, they haven't implemented that. That's a federal guideline. And so. also, gamma is different. A lot of the studies have been done with gamma that are one size fits all exposures. They don't tune it. There are Concerns of radiolytic products being formed, that has nothing to do with the technique that we do. You know, we have so what's plenty on the, of studies that do what's that. on the milk and the meat. This is different. Yeah, well, it's it's the 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 technology itself, the principle, the technology, the science, the technology in terms of effectiveness is the same. But what these gamma facilities do is they don't because they can't turn off or tune their product, they just run everything through this at the exact same way. So you might see a weird effect if you run, you know, a pound of meat or 10 pounds of meat through the product versus, you know, flowers. However, the flowers might need more levels of exposure. So they don't tune it to the meat. They tune it to the, and, and there, and all that stuff too is also being studied. And the FDA has also come out, especially when they released their regulations on drugs and has said, Hey, you guys, you know, we freaked out when we wrote these original regulations way back in like the 60s and now and even in drugs and spices there's no labeling requirements that the fda even requires and you know cannabis even though there are medicinal purposes i mean medicine is a drug and so you know those guidelines would still hold true and if anything a food additive or a spice like cannabis in something a a brownie or a cookie or some sort of good would be an additive falls under the same regulatory categories. So, you know, I know the FDA has been revisiting and has even come out and said, hey, you know, we kind of fell prey to a lot of misconceptions about radiation as a whole, but x-ray is new and the technology in x-ray is so new, you know, while you can apply the principles to it, the studies have to be done specifically for different products And actually, we're working with a lot of what we call champions to try to get those things and those, especially the misconceptions. That's the biggest problem, misconceptions. Everybody thinks radioactivity, gamma rays, the Hulk, that is not what this product is. This is an X-ray, it's a low-energy X-ray. People don't, I know, understand people have weird feelings sometimes about going to the dentist and getting their teeth drilled, but I very, very much doubt that if you have a broken arm or if you get your mouth X-rayed, you walk out of there feeling like you're going to turn into the Hulk. So very similar type of technology to that. People try to take gamma misconceptions and apply them to x-ray. Those are just not valid um, valid comparisons. Yeah, I think that's going to be the biggest thing that comes out of our discussion is this question that we, we essentially keep answering in different ways, and that is that safety, right? I'm not going right. to turn green, you know, by using the cannabis that's been treated, right? We're not, we're not going to grow a third arm, No, it's fine. The proof is in the charts, right? Because you're testing that comes back, you know, and and Wes 
has tons of tests across now numerous states that show we can get down to zero to non-detectable without altering the product. The chromatograms that show no new products formed, you know, they're all the, this is the safest method because not only are you getting your microbial levels down to the absolute lowest, you're maintaining and maximizing the medicinal properties of the flower itself. Yeah, that's what's, that I think is what's important is you have to, you have to remediate the flower. I mean, you cannot safely inhale these, these microbials, these funguses. We can all agree that's bad. And if there's a safe way to remove that, but keep my flower the same as it is, right. man, we should make this just required. It, that's, that's the, I mean, obviously here at RadSource, that's our thought process, but uh, it's, we have a lot of customers and a lot of labs in other states that they feel the same way. Um, we have a lot of champions for us that we don't, we never talk to or ask for just because that they, they believe in the same thing. And, you know, with Utah, it is a, it's what you just mentioned about the inhaling of it. That's something that I am truly concerned about because as you know, in, here in the state of Utah, uh, there is no uh, flower to flame allowed. So you're not allowed to actually smoke it. And one of the arguments has been that if there's any mold on it, it'll burn off, right? Well, Anybody here in Utah, that's not happening. If you're putting that in a vaporizer, it's at a much lower temperature to decarb it to create that vapor than it is a flame. And we don't know what the effects of that are. That's a that's an a, a, an area of research that hasn't even been done yet, to my knowledge. And that's why other states are testing for emissions. They're testing on vape cartridges and on you know any infused products. So you know our customers, they'll take their infused pre-rolls and things like that, and they'll, they'll just put those straight into the machine. So that way, everything is taken care of, regardless if it was in their flour, in the paper that they rolled the, the joint with, or in the extract itself. It's All of it will be handled, and there is no detriment to the product. So that's it really is when it comes to Utah specifically. I really don't know what it's going to be like because those inhalants are going to be an issue for if there's any contaminants. Yeah, you bring up a really interesting point about the no flame law because we've all been advocating for the no flame because it is quote unquote safer. But I guess you don't really know if the flame is maybe sterilizing some of those microbials out, right? And and the old school mentality. Yeah, right. Use yeah, just just use a lighter, burn it. That'll that'll sterilize it. And maybe there is some, there's something to that. I think this other thing we talked about, this secret shopper thing, that's a really great idea. I would love to have somebody go test, you know, go after the fact, go buy everything once, go, go test it, see what's actually in there 30 days after it hit the shelf, you know, see what all the levels are, what the terpenes are, what does this stuff look like, what's growing, and then make some regulations, you know. Then adjust the rules based on what mm-hmm. is reality, not just what you thought would have been reality. Exactly. And, and, and I understand that it takes the market some time to figure that out. You know, it's, it's very, very young still here in Utah. But, you know, the, the program that I mentioned to you, and I can absolutely send you more information, uh, the founder, Jim Morrison, he's a phenomenal individual. And the, the, what they do with that secret shopping program, it changed the whole culture. It wasn't just holding the the dispensaries accountable, it created a a level of self-accountability where now people are providing their own product because now they have a whole event for it. Everybody gets together, they have an award ceremony, you know, there's people that win awards and things. And it's at the end of the day, that was good for business and good for the patients because the patients are truly getting the best quality they can get. And so it's it's definitely a good uh, uh, wave that's kind of coming across to to create that accountability. And I'm, I'm happy to be part of it. 
Do you guys ever see a, a time when there's going to be something personal size where we can treat it? Because in Utah, you can't grow your own. But this idea, you know, of what's on, you know, what bugs, what contamination, what's in the soil, all of these things. This is one of the big reasons why Utah did not allow home grow uh, in the beginning. And, and I think a lot of states are looking at that like, look, we're going to inhale this stuff. It's not like eating a tomato out of your garden where there's that acidic environment where we're used to processing all of these things out and filtering things. The lungs don't filter in that same way. Have you thought about what's next for home grow and, and this personal application or is that down the road? Justin, I'll let you speak to the technology there. Well, quite frankly, as these companies legalize more or as these states legalize more and more and the market kind of drives, uh, you know, costs, especially down to affordability, you know, what we've seen is everything ends up starting in medical, but then rolls into recreational. Because why would you only want to be smoking safe product or consuming safe product on the medicinal side? Why not roll that into uh, recreational? And we have seen that. Uh, in Colorado, I believe that's true. Michigan, I believe that's true. The, the Northeast and the states that are legal there, New York, uh, Boston, those areas, those are that's true. Because again, you know, the technology is there, the insurance policy is there. Why even risk it? Why put yourself in a position where you can be susceptible to secret shopper? Why give yourself a chance to inhale something that's dangerous? Do we come out with a with a a technology that a customer can buy and put in their home. I don't know, maybe it might be in our, it might be in our docket, but I think the most important part is the consumer and especially the medical consumer needs to know that what they're consuming is safe and they should be concerned about that, especially when you're in an immunocompromised state. There's, there's no question that a customer should know what they're putting in their body. So Wes, uh, last question before we talk about how to get a hold of you guys, do you have some favorite, do you have a favorite product? In Utah, favorite flower? You know, actually, I do. I'm, I'm glad you asked about that. Um, it's something I've been talking uh, to some people uh, recently. It's I, I feel bad uh, to to promote any particular uh, company, so I won't say the cultivator's name. But anybody who knows, they'll know the, the strain. My favorite strain is Tart Pop. It's a Tart, uh, tart Pop. Tart Pop. Yes. Um, when have you? Is it pretty consistently available? Yes, it is actually. It has been pretty consistently available lately. So good, good. But okay. I will say that that's one thing from a patient's perspective in Utah. I mean, it's it is frustrating. It is very frustrating with uh, the availability, you know. And and I can understand why, you know. There's so much work being done in the background to try to to expand that. So I appreciate that big time. Yeah. Well, how do you guys, how do people connect with you, Wes? I'm I'm guessing you're the guy that if if anybody wants to connect with. You know, we'll let the physicist go go do his physics things. Although I'm sure if somebody has questions, you guys would answer them, right? Is there is there some place people can go for more information on this topic, particularly? Do you guys have a way for people to reach out to you? Uh, yes, absolutely. So uh, as far as Justin's communication, I'll let him speak to that. But for the company, obviously, RadSource.com. If you, uh, you you can just Google us even, uh, just the RadSource Technologies, and uh, there's all sorts of information out there. As far as directly connecting to me, I am local, so I am available. I have a, a 385 number. I wasn't cool enough to get an 801 number, but um, I can send you that information uh, that you can pass along. I don't know if I should say it out loud over the, the podcast. Yeah, we can post it. We can post it. 
Okay. Yeah. If we could post it, I'll give you that information. Uh, and, uh, yeah, just, uh, my, my name, W Spridgen at radsource.com. Justin, any favorite articles or ways people can connect with your work? So we have done a few, uh, podcasts and talks at MJ biz and some other, uh, some other places. Most of that stuff's available on YouTube. Wes is your good point, man. He's got all the resources and got all the, uh, got all the information, and if you and you know set anything up, if you want to talk about science with me, I'm the science guy. He's the he's the sales guy. So any I'm the geeky stuff. He's the market stuff. So if you want to talk about the science, you know just get give what uh, hit up Wes. We'll set something up and and we'll talk science all day. That's awesome. Thanks guys for coming out. You know for everybody, you can look for us on utahmarijuana.org slash podcast. You can download Utah in the Weeds at any podcast application that you can subscribe to podcasts on. Reach out to me, Tim Pickett at utahmarijuana.org. Thanks guys for coming on. This has been a great conversation. Really learned a lot today. Thanks, Tim. Thanks so much, Tim. All right, everybody stay safe out there.